0: Hi everyone, thank you for joining us. This is Are These Books
1: books Drunk?
2: Mariana, this is your book club with a twist, and we are your Chicas Disfrutando Una Hora de Felicidad. This month, we're talking about Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. Well, last week was quite a beaut. Tequila paired with ghost tales and mushrooms. We'll do that to you. Yes, they will. But seriously. Okay. We really dove deep into Noemi's trial by fire escapades with the Twisted Doyle family, her spine-chilling nightmares at High Place, Ugh. and her courageous time in the impoverished Pueblo El Triunfo. Yeah. Not to mention eugenics. Fuck, man. Oh my God. <laughs> you ladies came up with some pretty impressive theories, and I can't wait to continue spicing things up during this hour. Mm. Okay, I don't know about you, but I am dying slowly for a bebida, Emma. Oh, no.
1: (laughs) Get us a drink, Emma. (laughs) Well, let's revive you, Mariana. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Today's cocktail is definitely going to give you a pick-me-up. Yeah. Today's (laughs) cocktail is called, wait for it, Brandy. Okay. Black Magic. <gasps> woo! Yeah. You it's finally like wormed your way in with this one.
2: Oh, yes. took long enough. It took long enough. <laughs> took long enough.
1: <laughs> I'll leave the talking points for this one up to our bartender. <laughs> okay. So here to share the recipe for this cafe-nated cocktail. Oh, <laughs> oh my. my. You like that? You like Oh, that? yeah. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. Is our <laughs> official bartender. <laughs> <laughs> Ricardo. <Woo! Wow>. Ricardo.
3: <laughs> Hi, ladies. Welcome to the bar. Hey. Hi. How are you?
2: We're fantastic. Great.
3: Good. So the cocktail of today is called Black Magic.
0: Oh, yeah, finally, Black Brandy. Black Magic. <laughs> Woo. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so this cocktail has very few ingredients, but a little bit of preparation. So let's start with the, the recipe and then I'm gonna explain the preparation that we have to make. The Perfect. ingredients are pretty simple. It's an ounce of tequila, an ounce yes. of kalua, and an ounce of uh, espresso. So I made uh, my coffee with the mocha. You can do it whatever mm, you want.
0: That sounds good.
3: But we need the preparation because this drink is gonna be served up in a martini glass. And we want a rim. So for the rim of the cocktail, we need a quarter of a teaspoon of cane sugar, a quarter of a teaspoon of chili powder, and an eighth of a teaspoon of cinnamon powder. We're gonna mix all the powder together to have a uniform powder and we're gonna Mm -hmm. put the edges of the glass on the powder after that we wet them a little bit with a little bit of uh, lime juice or lemon juice it's gonna be like dark brownish Mm -hmm. or red it depends on like the the
0: perfect yeah Ricardo, this. I told the girls I like to drink out of a straw, so I'm gonna dip my little straw tip in that no. sugar
3: mixture. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just
0: so she
2: could get the I taste. won't. I won't, I swear. <laughs> oh no.
3: So this cocktail is very it's very easy and it's very boozy. The only thing that we are gonna notice is that when we are we're going to put all the ingredients in the shaker. The coffee is going to be hot and uh, that's going to help us because it's going to melt a little bit of the ice in the shaker. So it's going to dilute a little bit more uh, the, the cocktail because it's pretty. even if it's just an ounce of spirit, it's pretty strong. Yeah. So we're going to put all the ingredients in, Here it, in we the go. shaker. Big ice cube and uh, the big ice cube uh, with uh, a little crack, and we start shaking it, and I double strain it because in every uh, cocktail that I um, serve up, I don't want to mm-hmm. see crystal. It's very oh, hard to see crystals when you put a, a hot liquid in the shaker. Because it mm. usually melts the crystals, but just mm. to be super sure, I'm gonna I double strained it, and you're gonna see the perfect foam of the coffee and the kalua on top of the glass. Ah, and it's perfect. Such Amazing. a
0: good tip, yeah. Ricardo. Let me ask you: the rim, you said chili powder. Does that mean cayenne pepper or chili powder? Chili powder.
2: Okay, I used cayenne pepper. Oh, that's
3: very <laughs> spicy. She likes
2: really spicy. I mean, it's she loves that. It's good, though. So. Honestly, it's good. <laughs> And any tips for a tequila of choice for this particular oh, cocktail? Oh, yes.
3: uh, I'm using Fortaleza.
2: Keeping up with the Fortaleza.
3: Yes. I like it. Beautiful. Awesome.
0: It's awesome. delicious. It's honestly so nice and rich. It feels kind of perfect for
2: fall. I and mean, like, it Thanksgiving is. coming totally. up. Totally. With the cinnamon edition, yes. it's like yeah, perfect for that. It's
3: nice. Cheers, Very ladies. Nice. Enjoy the cocktail then. Hi,
2: salud. Salute. Thank Ricardo. you.
0: Salute. <laughs> Ciao. Bye. Ciao. All right, ladies.
2: Cheers. Salud.
3: Salud.
2: Mm. <laughs> Whoa. Holy shit. It's
3: so it's, so
1: it's so good, though. I got really drunk off. A, this is not an espresso martini. Kind of. I got really <laughs> drunk off an espresso martini my freshman year of college. Sorry, Mom and Dad. I was definitely underage. <laughs> and this is bringing me back. <laughs>
2: So I'm warning both of you, and I guess our listeners, because I rarely have coffee. oh, And I right. never have an espresso. And since so tequila's an Whoa. upper. And an espresso is definitely like a double whammy. I'm gonna You're be like a Mexican be fun. jumping bean. <laughs> 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 Ooh, I can't wait. wait oh, gosh. Tequila's an upper? Totally. Yeah, it's they? the only, only one, I think. It's the only alcohol out of all of them that's not a downer. It's an up I did not know that.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. It's the one that ever puts agave. you in, like, this,
2: you know, blah state. No one, you're tequila. always
0: ordering tequila shots at the end of the night. I'm always like, why is she doing that? It and now keeps I me going. It keeps you going. It does put me to sleep. <laughs> I think the alcohol outweighs whatever. Yeah, the upper I think is. after like
2: two, forget it. Initially, uh, it's the upper, and then you're done after right. two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Anywho.
0: Anyway. All right. Well, diving in. This week, Noemi and Frances forge a tighter bond. She gains new info on the Doyles, both from Dreams and also from Marta, who she visits once again to pick up Catalina's secret tincture. Back at the high place, Catalina suffers a violent seizure after taking Marta's medicine, mm-hmm. and Noemi is blamed by all for having given it to her. Resolved to solve this problem without her father's help, mm. she presses on and finally finds herself watching a strange kind of birth from within a dream. Yeah. These dreams, yo. These Seriously. dreams. Although these I have to say, dreams. I would take the dream at the end of the last chapter over the dream at the end of this these chapters. These sections. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. This I one was you. pretty gruesome. Yeah.
2: Not about it. <laughs> Guys, there's so much to talk about in these chapters oh once my gosh, again. I let's go. So let's just, let's I guess, it. I'll let's start get from in it. the beginning. Let's just do okay. it. Okay. Go for it. So chapter eight, where we begin our journey for this episode. Noemi was waiting for Dr. Camarillo finally to help out with right. Catalina to see what's going on with Catalina. Right. And she, for once, I think, felt like, She was one of the characters in Catalina's childhood stories, fairy tale stories. Yeah. Mm. She even mentions that the maiden, she felt like the maiden gazing out of the tower, waiting Mm. for the knight to ride to the rescue and vanquish the dragon. Mm -hmm. Noemi had mentioned these fairy tales before, but it seems to me that this is the first time she admits to herself that she might be in the need of rescuing, possibly she is now starting to come to terms with the seriousness of her circumstances. Yeah. It's not just a Beauty and the Beast tale. There's more to this tale. Even though, like, later in the chapters, we also read about the dark fairy tales that could possibly end in blood. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And those that are enchantments that are never broken. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot of fairy tale talk from the get-go. There is,
0: for sure.
1: It's interesting that you bring up The fairy tales so early on, Mariana. I mean, I mean to an extent because in this first chapter, she does actually reference a couple fairy tales, like you said, the Cinderella. The thing that caught my attention was the quote that she has about Sleeping Beauty, where Noemi had the vision of the end of Sleeping Beauty when, and of course, not in the Disney version where everything is wrapped up in a perfect bow, exactly. Yeah. The original Sleeping Beauty story is actually written by an Italian poet, Giambattista Basile.
2: Mm, ooh.
1: Thank you. I hope <laughs> I you listen you proud to that inflection. inflection. Your <laughs> hubby must be very proud. Yeah. <laughs> Hear from him later. So, her she has this vision at the end of that version of the Sleeping Beauty when the stepmother is pushed into a barrel of snakes, which I actually huh. didn't remember, mm. and then I realized that I didn't, I never actually knew the original version yeah. of Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, I only know yeah. the Disney version. Right. So that got me wondering, and and I researched the original dark version of Sleeping Beauty, and I was shocked to discover oh that in goodness. that version, the king rapes Sleeping Beauty in her sleep.
3: Oh Are my you God. kidding me? And
1: impregnates her with <gasps> twins. Oh, weird. And I Whoa. was like... Kind of like Virgil showing up in her yeah. dream and like yeah. unbuttoning her pants and her blouse.
0: But there's also a weird twin element to like Agnes and, and, Alice. and Alice. They're not yep. twins, but they're yeah. sisters. And they're then close also in Catalina age. and mm-hmm. Noemi. Like there mm-hmm. is sort of a twin thing going on there too. Mm-hmm. It's totally. That's
2: weird.
1: And totally. I didn't, I don't really know if this directly correlates to our story. But also in that version, the queen is aware of what happened. She's aware of the king impregnating Sleeping Beauty. And so to get back at him, she cooks the children and feeds them to the king. Oh, my God. And I was like, that's like a way of keeping... It, I mean, it's it's revenge, but it's also like, well, Key these chemical. are yours, mm-hmm. so you can eat them. Mm-hmm. Kind of in the same like cycle that I was remembering, which one well, we'll get to later. Yeah. Also, yeah. the artwork for the story in Sleeping Beauty is Sleeping Beauty in a bed with flowers all around her, and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. I just kind of felt like, is this some kind of twisted gothic version of Sleeping Beauty? Huh.
0: Interesting. Uh-huh. I mean, dropping that there. That- I've never heard that version of Sleepy Beauty. That I sounds gothic right? as, fuck as fuck as it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Oh, my wow, gosh. Wow, Emma. That Gross, is fascinating. Right? The thing that stuck out to me about this section, because I did notice, I feel like in the first chapters we read of the book, there was mention of fairy tales and stuff. But it seemed to really increase in the chapters that we read this week, there was a lot more mention of fairy tales. It was right. a lot more heavy handed. And I kind of think of Catalina as like a damsel in distress in this story. Yeah. Sylvia Moreno Garcia has set up Noemi in a situation where she sort of needs to be the knight. And she needs to do it against social conventions that dictate what a woman's place is. Yeah. And also against social conventions of the marital bond being like the most important Mm -hmm. be-all end-all thing. Mm -hmm. Mariana, I don't know if this is true in Colombian Hmm. culture, so I'm curious to hear. But for Mexicans, you don't get involved as the family in the business of a married couple. They're Hmm. married. Their problems are their problems. You stay out of it. And you see that repeatedly in what Virgil says. He keeps saying he's her husband. Her health is his responsibility. The final word on her treatment is up to him. But the relationship between Noemi and Catalina Hmm. is so rich. It's so full of history. I think Noemi feels a little bit like I've known her our whole life. Who the hell are you to say if she's okay or not? Mm, Who are you to say if it's up to you to know what's best for her, that it's up to you to take care of her? I think... I think in some sense, Noemi has been thinking that a knight in shining armor might show up in the form of her dad or Dr. Camarillo. But I think she's sort of starting to realize, like, no, I'm the one who Mm -hmm. cares about this woman and who is going to have to step up
2: up. and save both of us. Yeah. It's so fascinating to hear how different, at least from my experience with the Colombian culture, because I can't talk about the Colombian culture as a whole. Uh I can only express like what my immediate experiences have been like yeah because and what I've heard through my young life Mm -hmm. it's this is a very complex question so like for sure I mean as far as I'm concerned (laughs) I love you my family as far as I'm concerned we are a (laughs) bunch of meddlers I feel like (laughs) oh
0: interesting
2: everyone is always in everyone else's business no matter how private the matters are oh wow but then the thing is also everyone likes to be heard. There's a slight mm-hmm. of there's a slight competitive aspect as to who will give the best advice or oh. who is basically in the right. Interesting. And this is especially it comes down to when they're discussing or gossiping about marital bonds. Hmm. Not to mention la compincheria, which I don't know if either of you know that saying or brandy, mm-hmm. compincheria means like the gossiping that happens between women which is like constant it happens between women in regards to another woman's misgivings
0: mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. there's a lot of what one should do but when it actually comes down to taking the action that the of the advisor the advisor ends up turning their face appearances and reputations are so crucial for colombians that even if there's an extramarital affair which happens quite often which is very mm-hmm. sad or if they're their yeah. marital, stro- marital struggles everyone meddles with their best advice but when confronted with the situation having to confront the situation head on that's non-existent the meddling happens but the actual confrontation doesn't which is so strange i actually just want to plug this because now we're talking about catalina being a wife virgil or or the thought is that catalina was his wife and he was the one who could make the choices for her Mm -hmm. silvia even goes on to say why mexican women couldn't even vote so they don't have a say so we must plug this in right now because of the times that we're in right now we have to urge every single individual to vote everyone has the right to vote every human has the right to vote and we need to do so because we must express our opinion now more than ever especially in the world that we're living in in the United yes. States of America, please, so, cheers please, please to that. Go, vote.
0: go fucking cheers. vote. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Biden Harris. Okay, yay!
1: <laughs> <Blink>! <laughs> I'll drink to that. Mm, yes. Thank you for plugging that. Of course. Yes, Mariana. Super important. Sí, señoritas. I really wanted to ask you two, like this moment of Catalina when she and Noemi are hanging out and she's like completely fine and then she just yeah. all of a sudden oh. in the at the drop of a hat she's like possessed yeah what well, I can't really make sense of what I, I guess we have. none of us have really figured out like what really is going on with her sure, but during right. this because I thought prior to this she, had, she was just sick 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 and terrible and possessed and freaked out but then this is the yeah. first time I think that we've seen her where she's like really
0: okay and then she's not so like what is this what is going mm-hmm. on and this is the moment when Dr. Camarillo is like uh, they're visiting with him right. and it seems like everything's fine at first but yeah. then she makes a sudden like shift Mm -hmm. right this moment really reminded me of that movie get out Do you remember the the moment yeah where uh daniel kaluuya is talking to the maid and she's Mm. speaking to him like normal and then all of a sudden she just kind of like her head starts shaking and a tear rolls down her cheek and it's just a very like odd it's like there's a fight within her happening Mm. and in the moment you don't really know what it is of course you find out later Spoiler alert, there are two people living inside this body and they're battling it out for power. And I had that sense of Catalina in this moment where it was like, is the house holding some power over her Mm -hmm. where she's trying to be herself, but it's forcing something on her and Mm -hmm. there's like a battle raging within her against it. But ultimately the house wins or ultimately the ghosts win or... Something.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I also agree with her, her being forced to behave or act a certain way that yeah. she's did that she doesn't necessarily want to. And I think I also. There's a part of me that feels that, like, Florence has something to do with this because Florence is always with her. Florence was mm. with her right before Dr. Camarillo yeah, came in. Yeah, I feel that. So I don't know if there's, like, a mm. poison or just, like, her influence on her the same way that Florence has this influence over the servants. If there's some sort of power trip over Catalina, that if she were to say anything derogatory or negative about the Doyles, that it kicks in. There's something that kicks in that, like, just yeah. gets her into into a trance.
0: And we did mention Munchausen's before in yeah. relation yes. to Florence, and that does feel sort of in line with what's happening here, where it's like she's trying to keep her sick, and we don't ever yeah. really get to see Florence interact directly with Catalina. It's like doors are always closed, closed for that. So, like, what's going on behind closed doors Totally with those two? We don't really know. I know. I know. Uh, which is really disturbing. So then after this, this moment really pissed me off. After this, (laughs) Virgil and Noemi finally end up in the the greenhouse together. Noemi asks him to sort of finally show her that part of the house. She's never Mm -hmm. seen it before. And they finally kind of start having it out about Catalina. And Noemi basically tells him, like, she really thinks Catalina needs to see a psychiatrist. And... Virgil calls her a little girl as if her understanding of the situation is so small. She couldn't mm. possibly understand. She's such a little girl. He literally says, you presume a great deal deal little girl mm. and i wanted to fuck <laughs> him up <laughs> tell
2: this us is how you really feel
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is literally i've got a couple of black magics in me so i am charged <laughs> up and ready to tell you but like she's literally a grown adult woman she is maybe the closest family that catalina has it's not like she and Virgil have been married that long. It's been like a right. year. Yeah. So I was like, the ball's on you to say this to her. And I wondered, have you ladies ever had a moment like this with a man that was so belittling to
2: you, so demeaning mm-hmm. that you just wanted to slap him? I mean, I so I don't know if you guys knew this, but um, while pursuing like our our lovely World of acting. I also was a temp for a good chunk of time, and I used to oh. work for Al Jazeera, the the temp agency that I was working for. Then said that they had an opening position as a receptionist for their headquarters down in Herald Square or near Herald Square. Oh. So, but the receptionist was literally right in front of the this um, right behind this huge entranceway where it was like there was a security guard. You know, it's a it, it, there were centers in Doha and London and because of the Arabic culture and the news that they were presenting, there had to be a lot of security around Uh, this. mm -hmm. But constantly, there would be all these executives and businessmen that would constantly go in and out because it was this huge media network. Mm -hmm. And because I look young, because I was a woman, because it was the first person that they would meet when walking into Al Jazeera, that I was constantly treated like the bottom of the barrel. Like they didn't want to talk to me at all. They didn't want to like ask or Or tell me like who they were visiting even though they had to get through me so then i could let them in it was like this Mm. constant, like just like who are you this like basically this little girl like no respect it felt so demeaning it just Uh. i felt insulted and then it's like you don't know who i am like what emma was saying last week you don't know the story that i have you you have no idea but you just choose to treat me this way and it's like i want to fucking slap you like what why why do you have to treat me with disrespect and beyond that, you are clearly
0: the person, if you're at the front of the office, you are clearly the person they're supposed to speak to right. in order to, to get in or get to talk to whoever to the they're office. there to see. Ooh. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Ridiculous. Anyway. When you asked this
1: question, Brandy, I was like, yeah, I don't even know which one to choose. Like,
0: <laughs> how do I decide I which I know. I mean, one? it happens
1: so frequently. It's but, true. But what you just said, I mean, brought me right back to my hostessing days. I was a hostess ah. for a really long time when I was in college. And also when I first moved to New York, that was what I did as my side gig. And it's just fascinating how shitty people can treat you. Yeah. And and I don't know, but but the thing is, it was actually men and women. And I always wondered if if I would have gotten the same crappy treatment if I were a male.
0: Mm-hmm. I think probably
1: actually I probably would have because
0: people know.
1: are just really really rude in in those circumstances um, but there was this one time as a hostess, I went, <laughs> I was working at the plaza and it was, <laughs> there were like eight different stations, like eight different kitchens. And it was a little confusing because it was like a food hall. So if you walked in from the wrong entrance and you didn't pass the hostess stand, it could seem that you could just kind of seat yourself and uh, whatever. Yeah. But we always had a really long wait list. And so when that happened, I used to have to go up to guests and be like, hi, excuse me, sorry. Like you actually have to check in at the hostess stand. We do have a wait. This one guy, I said this to him, he turns around, he looked me in the eyes, and he goes, God, your voice is annoying. <gasps> Remember how I no! said last week that I've always had a really complicated sh- relationship with my Shit. voice? Yeah. And I froze, and I looked at him, and I wanted to slap him, and instead I said, oh, I'm sorry, you still have to check in at the hostess stand.
2: <laughs> oh, my God. You're like,
0: if you want to hear my voice less, go <laughs> <Right. don't> to <laughs> the hostess stand <laughs> and I'll shut up immediately.
1: Right, right. Thank you.
2: <laughs>
0: uh,
2: what a douchebag. Wow! I also find
1: I think people are really demeaning to me sometimes, not necessarily because I'm a woman, but because I look a lot younger and apparently That's sound true. a lot younger than yep. I am. Yep. And I think when people assume that I am of a certain age that yep. I am not, yep. I get treated as such. And that infuriates me just as much yep. as a man demeaning Agreed. me because I'm a woman. Agreed.
2: Interesting. Agreed. Again, it's not knowing who you are, not knowing your story. And just because of your appearance, they're already judging and they already act a certain way because that's what right. they think that they should do. Well, and not even taking the time
0: to just be like, this is another human person. True. How do it humans doesn't even matter. It's interact like, yeah. with each right. other respectfully, yeah. respectfully, regardless of what your job title is or your right. gender is or your age is? Like, you're just another human. Well, so I had a horrible situation when I... I mean, it wasn't that long ago. It was maybe five, six years ago. I was still working in restaurants Mm -hmm. and it was the co-owner slash head chef of the restaurant where I was working who, for whatever reason... We just never really hit it off. There was always animosity. From the moment I started working there, there was just a weird energy between the two of us. He clearly had a very, like, I'm the dominant man here thing going on. And I very much had a, like, well, you're still going to respect me vibe going Mm -hmm. on. Yeah, of course. And that just clashed. It didn't work. And while I was working there, I also did a play where I happened to spend the entirety of the play in a bathtub and I was pretty scantily clad in the bathtub. It's a play I'm very proud of, so i w- it was a decision I had happily made. It was can you say what it is? the play, yeah, it' yeah. Was called it was called "The Snowfall in Berlin. It's a play by Don Nigro uh and it was a, it was honestly one of the best, most fulfilling theatrical experiences oh. I've ever had. It was oh. a beautiful, wonderful experience. <laughs> Wow! And I did it while I was working at that restaurant. Mm. And some of the regular guests from that restaurant had come to see the play. Oh, no. One of whom had a really big crush on me. Um, And he was totally sweet and it was fine, but, like, it wasn't reciprocated or anything. But one night I'm working at the restaurant and the head chef is sitting in the dining room with, Mm. like, his wife and a bunch of the other regulars and stuff. And clearly he'd had too much to drink And I don't know what I had done this day to piss him off. It happened regularly. But he shouted across the dining room at me in front of regulars, in front of my coworkers, in front of other guests who I was serving. Oh, my God. That at least George hadn't seen him naked in a bathtub what? And he said it just like Holy that. No shit. context. No, like, that was a play. No, none of that. It was just oh, a, so like, for everybody, oh. oh, God. As far as everybody else was concerned, I had been like naked in a bathtub That's in George's a... oh, hotel room God. or something. Oh, my, it was yeah. disgusting. And, what a fucker. And this head chef's fiance was sitting like right next to him. It was perfectly awkward. And thankfully, one of the other regulars was a lawyer and literally said, to the general dining room right after that, like, hey, you should really be careful. You're going to get sued. Yeah, like, Mm -hmm. you should watch it. Good for him. And within two weeks, I think something else had happened, and I literally called him a piece of shit on the floor, and I walked out. Yes! And I had quit, like, not too long after that. It was a horrible, horrible, horrible experience. Working at that place. But that's the experience that came back for me when I heard Virgil call her a little girl, where I was just like... Right away, you oh. felt that again. Claw yeah.
1: your face. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Brady literally, literally clawing to... her face. Yep,
0: <laughs> absolutely. Don't absolutely. hurt your beautiful face, <laughs>
1: Whatever. <laughs> Don't hurt yourself. Yep, that's <laughs> so gross. I'm sorry. So disgusting. Well, changing tunes.
2: Ba-ba-ba-ba. Let's talk
0: about these snakes. Oh, the snakes again. <laughs> these
1: evil snakes, like these evil male They're head back. chefs. Mm-hmm. So we now come to find out that the snake is known as the Ouroboros, which is mm-hmm. their family symbol. So in the last episode, you know, we kept going back and forth about what is this about the snakes? Mm-hmm. What What is this relationship? Why do they keep coming up? So I guess now we know it's because it's their family symbol. I know that there's something yeah. much deeper mm-hmm. in here.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: But when they mention that the snake eats its tail and then it equals the infinite above us and below us, like... In under the ground, the ground, six feet under. Oh. I was like, oh. Yeah. And the other thing that made me question shortly after that, she says that uh, Virgil's eyes look gold when the light hits them, like snakes, like snakes' eyes, you know, have those golden yeah. rings. Yeah. So now I'm like, are they all snakes?
0: <laughs> what? What? Help me. Help me flush this out. What's going on? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely something to this whole snake thing. I'm still sticking by my whole theory of snakes shedding their skin, equaling souls jumping right. body to body. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree with that. There's something in there. The the Doyle's aren't human or something, and they're they're either jumping from body to body or they're
2: using other bodies to like feed off of. To keep their souls going. Well, to that point, Sylvia continuously talks about every character's eyes. And we know mm-hmm. the saying that eyes are the windows, windows to the soul. to the soul. Yeah. Yes. So if they're jumping bodies the souls keep on, you know, sticking around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, for instance, I remember, I don't know if we mentioned this last week or not, but there was a moment that, um, yeah, I think we did, that Howard Doyle has these crystal blue eyes that for an individual his age, he could not have those set of eyes. Right. And on the contrary, when when she mentioned the eyes of Marta Duval that they were full of cataracts that you could see how like Mm, old she was mm, and how mm -hmm. just, it was just a deteriorated sick kind of look to her. Yeah. So I,
0: this whole thing is
2: like, it's another hint that the Doyles aren't, are not human, that they're jumping bodies, something to that extent. Um, Yeah. Something, something
0: I wanted to point out in this section at the greenhouse too with, Uh, Noemi pointing out all of the snakes around the Doyle compound she points out that they're everywhere I think at this point Virgil says something like oh yeah it's our family crest whatever but he's very nonchalant about it like his manner is almost like Oh, like really? I hadn't noticed, and I was like, "Yeah, fucking right, you haven't noticed. These snakes are fucking everywhere." I noticed, like, yeah, do I you don't mean? believe him. Though, yeah, that's bullshit. I didn't that, for
2: that is such a bullshit.
0: I don't he, believe that. I was like, "Are you deflecting? Why would you be deflecting?" It was just such a weird reaction to her noticing that mm-hmm. he is
1: so snarky. Another. Yeah, oh. Another yes. thing that he said that brought me back to my theory that I dropped last week was when he says to Noemi, you're an inquisitive creature. Mm. It made me feel like the snake talking to Eve. <gasps> oh, my God. Just to that's bring back Garden totally. of Eden in
0: case y'all forgot.
2: Totally. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that That's really interesting, Emma, because he does have some of the qualities that, like, the snake in the bible has when talking to Eve like there is a sort of like sly
2: sleaziness
0: Sleaziness. Yeah, like a salesy like mm-hmm. something. I'm like, I going know better than you, but mm-hmm. if you want to try this Go yeah. ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost like trying to lure lure her. Yeah, right. Closer. yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Ooh. And then this is the first time too where shortly after that, Noemi ponders if her dad should actually come down here. She says right. a man would command more respect. Right. Which I was really sad about that because up until now, she's like I can handle this on my own. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time where she actually second guesses that and wonders if she really does need a man, her dad. Right. And they don't seem to be super close. Also,
0: where is her mom? Thank you. And why? her brother. We finally start yeah. to hear yeah, about this brother bit. in these chapters. And I'm like, wait a minute, we never a heard about bit. this guy before. Yeah. Cause
1: we know that they exist, but the only person in her family that we ever hear about is Catalina. Like And the we, dad, yeah. Why is everyone else missing?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's very weird. It's weird, right? Well, I'm just gonna drink my black magic.
1: <sighs> yeah, oh. I'm like I'm I'm
0: buzzed. I am too. I'm on a caffeine buzz. (laughs) I'm on a different kind of buzz. (laughs) (laughs) To tell. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on that tequila buzz.
1: Did either of you have any thoughts as to what that
0: buzzing is in the cemetery? I mean, I noted it, and it's come up a few times, this buzzing, but I don't have any theories as to what that is. No theories? No, do you <laughs> Just kidding I don't do either. Have, I have, yeah, I, not I, yet. I'm not hmm. yeah, I don't I don't know what's going on with those. It's
2: either bees or it's flies, but I, I, I'm gonna jump a little bit and and tell me if I'm wrong. Doesn't she hear at the end of chapter fourteen some buzzing? yeah i mean the buzzing right. is all it's, over it's, the place it keeps happening yeah in different yeah, places yeah. that's why i don't know if it could be the bees knowing that she was indoors having a dream when that buzzing happened i mean when she it was seems like the buzzing is maybe
0: attached to the ghosts
2: yeah. i just I don't know
0: it's internal
1: like in her head as opposed to external similar oh, to totally. how
0: catalina says there are voices in the walls. In yeah yes it's yeah. like where is that? Yeah, but it does seem like they're associated, the buzzing is associated with the ghosts or the house or whatever. I don't know that it's actually a physical sound in the world. But then sweet little Francis comes and saves
1: her. She's lost in the mist. And our sweet, pale, lanky little Francis is there collecting his shrooms. (laughs) And something that really intrigued me is when he says, mushrooms always grow over dead things in a way. I was like, oh, Francis,
0: what dead things are we talking about? Yeah, yeah. I found that statement really interesting since we find out soon after this that he's pretty obsessed with mushrooms. He yeah. Has those, yeah. He makes those spore prints of them. Mm-hmm. He's clearly always like harvesting them and stuff. And I thought. He's a mushroom could he, nerd. Yeah, he's a total mushroom nerd. And I thought, could he, in a sense, be a dead thing that they grow over? because he he is so obsessed with them and he's the one who says mushrooms always grow over dead things in a way and i know emma you had said before could he be dead i just thought like is he drawn to mushrooms because he's dead you know what i mean like and he's just haunting this house the writer comments that when Noemi sees him in the cemetery, that he seems more substantial than he normally does. She says he always seemed rather insubstantial to Noemi, but now in the mist again, mm-hmm. he appeared perfectly solid and real as if being in the cemetery makes him more whole or something. <sighs> mm hmm. There was just something strange to me about the connection between him saying mushrooms grow over dead things and then by the way I'm super fucking interested in mushrooms. I'm obsessed with mushrooms. Yeah, I'm obsessed mm-hmm. with them and I'm harvesting them right now. Huh. Yeah. Maybe he's using using them to
1: poison himself. Or Catalina? That Could sense. this yeah. be why
0: Catalina's sick? It does yeah. Florence send Francis on her dirty work to collect these hallucinogenic mushrooms that are keeping Catalina ill, or something? I don't know. There, there's just there's, just, there's something
2: weird in this Francis mushroom connection. <laughs> and, and they Sylvia makes a note about this specifically: this poisonous mushroom. Its store print is white, which is how you can distinguish that one from an edible one. So there is a a specific note about the difference between the edible one and the poisonous one.
0: And she makes a note of that because Noemi accidentally tramples one of those mushrooms on her way back into the house. And it's called the destroying angel mushroom. And it's almost... It's almost symbolic in a way that Noemi's the one in their way. She's the one possibly holding up whatever's going on with what they've got going on with Catalina. And she's also trampled this mushroom, Mm -hmm. which is a poisonous mushroom.
2: And could he then be, could he be then referenced as the destroying angel? Like, is he, because he could be kind of... Hmm. Helping her, so he's an angel for her in her light, but he's the one that's actually destroying Catalina's soul. So then he that's there, there's lies a duality in Francis, which by the way, I have to note that Francis is Flores's Flores's son, not his (laughs) nephew, not her nephew, which I said that last episode and I was like, shit, I need to correct myself on that. But I
0: have to say, I have a lot of questions about him because. It seems like he's on Noemi's side. It does seem that way. But I'm not completely convinced he's not some kind of a double agent or something. You know what I mean? He always seems very happy and ready to help her. But a part of me wonders if he isn't working at that on behalf of the family and also just keeping an eye on her for them or something.
2: And again, I feel like these others, the the other Doyle members have so much Power, then maybe he is kind of like the bottom of the barrel and he has yeah, to do what he's does, being yeah, told. Like that. Yeah, so yeah, that's why I he has, that's just true. has to follow through. Yeah, which I feel really bad for him.
1: I do too. I kind of like him. I know, me too. <laughs> oh. i <I'm> you're supposed to. <laughs> oh, I wanted to say something last episode that I didn't say, but mm. so I'm gonna say it now because okay. I still. I still hold my ground, stand my ground about this. Okay, tell us. I wanted to say last time that I think (laughs) it's another nugget of mine that I'm saying something's going to happen with these things. I think that cigarettes are going to be Hmm. a major plot twist in the book. There's a lot of specificities about the cigarettes the brand, yeah. how much they are, where she gets them from. Yeah. And I, I really had no idea what was going to happen, but now in this next chunk of the book we read, I started to wonder if if there is a connection to the cigarettes in Original Sin. Because the family insists on certain healthy habits, including no smoking, Mm -hmm. also no coffee, no loud music or noises, cold showers. Mm. I don't understand that one.
0: Yeah, closed curtains. So
1: horny. (laughs) 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 Uh. Anyway, sorry. I was wondering if the cigarettes have a correlation to original sin, right? But then later, a couple chapters down the road, Francis says. Truth be told, Ruth ought to have burnt High Place to the ground, <gasps> and in Noemi's hand, she's holding an unlit cigarette. And I was like, foreshadowing. So, wow. I'm going to say it right now in this I episode. That that. I think crazy Noemi is going to burn High Place down, or she's going to try. I don't know yeah. if it's going Become to catch an arsonist, but then. I realized that's why there's oil lamps everywhere, because oil is highly flammable. Right. And because they have fucking oil lamps, I think that these cigarettes are going to blow it all up. Interesting. All right. Thank you for hearing me out. So chapter 10, the first thing that I (laughs) got whiff of was whoa, Noemi is flirting with Francis. Yeah. What is this new? I know. Where did this come from? And I again, know. I think this is the author trying to prep us or like seduce us into feeling like Francis is the good guy because otherwise,
3: mm. why exactly. is Noemi
1: feeling this pull towards this him? Connection. But I, I just can't understand it because Francis is uh, doesn't seem like her type. Yeah, yeah, not at all.
2: No, and they spent a lot of quality time together. She is forced to do this because, like what you just said, Brandy. He ha- he has to be her only ally. He's the w- she needs something from him. She mm-hmm. needs to go to town. He needs to drive her because obviously she can't go by himself by herself. Right? Well, she's not supposed to. Yeah, she's not supposed right. to. Right? But yet, because of this time spent together, she starts to see him in a different light. She. I think looks past his ghostly looks and his shyness and starts thinking of him in a more I mean dare I say desirable sexual way. I Ugh, think
0: there's
2: so I think there's there, this like though. sexual draw. I know. Ugh. I don't and, quite understand yeah, it. But. And it's like it's different than how she felt about Hugo Duarte um right. whom she liked mostly because of the way he danced or that he resembled she once mentioned Pedro Infante. Right. It's like this warmer, she even says, goes to say, this warmer feeling, more genuine that Sylvia uh-huh. like, kind of represents this that way. And I don't think because of basing it off of her previous behaviors and her previous boyfriends, she would have ever been drawn to Francis in the real world. No. If they would have met mm. at a party, she would have never gone to him and started no. sparking up a conversation. Never. And Nope. So because of the circumstances that she finds herself in, that's prompted her to desire him.
1: Mm -hmm. And so
2: this led me to start thinking, going back to my own previous relationships, even looking back to when I met Andrew, because as we know, it was a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know if because of the circumstances that we are in, if those circumstances cause us to be more drawn to each other at that point in time versus in the stage of the game that we're in. Where yeah. our initial chemistry and companionship feel different now than it did back then. Because mm-hmm. I, what was it, 15 years ago? I was a very different person 15 of years course. ago. right, And so was he. So I don't know if you ladies have thought about this. Not necessarily, like, like not even about your husbands, but just previous relationships. if Because you were different people then and because of the, the situation that you were in, it's the reason why you were propelled to seek out that particular individual if circumstances has a lot to do with Mm. how you're drawn to somebody versus at another time or place?
1: I have thought about
2: that a lot,
1: and I think absolutely yes. I think timing is so crucial in when when you meet someone and how that affects your chemistry and your relationship. And And I do think that sometimes two people could be really great for each other, but because the timing didn't work yeah. out, it doesn't yeah. work out. But yeah. I actually dated a guy a few years ago who was a great guy, but the timing just really wasn't good. But It's interesting I say that because the timing was actually, he came into my life at a point that I really needed him. I was having a really tough time and um, I was really, really down and I had just mm-hmm. moved to Brooklyn and I didn't know anybody. And I was feeling very nervous about that. And Mm. I met him. And it turns out that we lived in the same neighborhood, which was like crazy. I mean, when I say in the same neighborhood, like an eight minute walk from each other. It was like completely serendipitous that I had met him and we didn't meet in our neighborhood. So I was like, he is being placed in my life right now to be this pathway Mm. and provide um, companionship and comfort. um, Yeah. It was what I needed in the time, yeah. but we just really weren't working. We weren't really clicking. And and we used to say to each other, you know, I wish that we had met like a couple years down the road oh, because this really could have been God. good. But right now, like <laughs> I just wasn't in a place to, to be open to anything. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that's I think that's massively important. And I think it's really interesting to think about it in terms of you and Andrew, mm. because I feel like you guys are such a good fit and you're such a good match, but it's truly, I mean, you guys, I, I wonder how much of that also is because you kind of molded into really working for each other because of the length of time you've had. And I, I do wonder how interesting it would be if you had met now. I still yeah. feel like your personalities yeah. really would still match beautifully, yeah. but it's such a fascinating thought to me. I think human nature is just so freaking cool it
2: is completely emma i i feel that we've grown together and we're very lucky as a couple that we have grown at the same time because i have heard from other couples that they don't necessarily grow mm-hmm. at the yeah, same it pace not always yeah. happen like that that's so true and then one of them is left behind and then what do you do because then you don't you're not at the, the timing is then off Right. And how, and how do you get over that hump that struggle of just like not being at the same place because yeah. oh, I think then it happens
1: all the time yeah yeah I agree yeah I agree
2: Yeah similar to you
0: guys I also I feel like I tell Jason all the time that if we hadn't met at the precise moment that we met I don't think Jason would have been ready actually for like a serious relationship he had never had a serious relationship before me i think his longest relationship was oh, wow. like three months or something
2: wow oh my gosh.
0: yeah it was really we didn't short know that. Yeah, yeah 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 uh which was super daunting for me i hated hearing that because to me it just felt like okay are we just gonna last three months and then that's it and yeah and you came from a seven year engagement i was in yeah i right. was i was with somebody for seven years and funnily enough jason and i had met I mean, maybe five or six years before we actually started dating. So Mm. if we had started dating back then, we probably, I don't think we'd be married. Because he (sighs) was so much younger and so, he was pretty immature still. He was still sort of trying to figure himself out. Like, I just Mm. don't think, I don't think we'd be together right now, which is wild. Mm -hmm. You got that voodoo clam brandy. Ah! wow that
1: black magic i I
2: don't know how to follow that wow (laughs) emma i think that's like the quote of the month i just Uh, learned that from all her daddy podcast you've been listening to that yes
1: it's so raunchy Raunchy. yeah it's
0: super raunchy it's a really good
1: break from the politics these days True. Hilarious! Oh my god,
2: I love that. Wow! You can tell Jason, you're welcome.
0: <laughs> I
1: will.
2: I'll tell him just. He that. probably thinks Brandy every day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry, I'm Oh kidding. god. <laughs> so speaking of that, Florence. <laughs> Speaking of that clam trap, Florence.
2: (laughs) 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 Clam trap. I mean. Oh my
0: gosh. I can't think of anything hotter, uh, personally. (laughs) (laughs) Woo!
1: Um, yes, Mariana, I guess to answer your question, you do feel like timing plays a very important <laughs> factor in when you
2: meet someone. Yeah, yeah. And, and your clam matures over the years, so it's no, like right. it has to be.
0: It just gets better and better. Just like fine wine. <laughs> Mine's like a fine soft blanc, personally. Oh, yes, Savvy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are spiraling into a
1: dark deep hole.
2: Ah!
3: It- <coughs> <No. laughs> I
2: didn't even mean that.
1: Mma. Yes,
0: you did.
3: You totally no, did. I didn't
1: I didn't think of that pun when I said it. I Don't didn't let you her know what it to hear it. So Don't right let now. her
0: fool you listeners. She no, knew. Wow. Wow.
2: Ooh.
1: Ooh. <laughs> speaking of that voodoo clam let's talk about possessing possessing possessiveness you possess jason with your goods brandy like i'm bringing it
0: back i'm bringing it back to the book i got it we got to come back <laughs> please do please bring do. it back
2: bring it back
0: Who's got that good clam? <laughs> in the book. My clam is bacon right now. It's really hot. I've got some steam. <laughs> I can't.
2: I can't. I can't. <laughs> Ew. It's really hot.
0: It's hot in here.
1: (laughs) (sighs) Okay. I'm bringing her back. I'm bringing her back. Okay. Brandy, similarly to how you possess Jason with your (laughs) goods, Florence seems to have some words Mm. to me. About her special powers with possession. Mm -hmm. She says, to be a Doyle is to be someone. Hmm. You think you have a special power simply because my uncle thinks you possess a pretty face. A pretty clam. But that's not power. (laughs) It's a liability. Yeah. I thought that was... um, pretty like harmful quote actually <laughs> yeah. yeah like yeah. that having a pretty face is a liability yeah right like you are dangerous like why why I actually didn't question that why in
2: this book is that a liability i'm wondering i read it this way is it a liability for her for no- noemi because i think that right now Florence is being very the most honest and most blatant and it's kind of like yeah it is a very honest moment no the truth of the matter is that Noemi will ultimately be used for her looks because if we're talking about like the whole like right. eugenics or if we're talking about the whole like swapping souls or if like she will be used for that they feed off of that because their looks and beauty has been mentioned over and over Virgil has right these looks and this is the reason why he has like the higher power in this family Mm. and she and uh, we were talking about Alice last week how she was more beautiful more fruitful and that's why she survived and Agnes didn't Mm. so there's a superiority and and I think their immortality stems from this from beauty I think also in this chapter
0: it seemed to become really clear to me that whether by choice or by circumstance the Doyles don't Leave the high place. Mm. When Florence walks in on Noemi and Francis talking in the library, she later asks Noemi what they were talking about. She says, Don't give my son any ideas. They will bring him pain.
3: Francis
0: is content here. He doesn't need to hear about parties, music, and booze, and whatever other frivolities you choose to share with him about Mexico City. Then she says, and this kind of broke my heart, she says, Mm. She once thought. The world outside held such promise and wonders, but then says she was meant to live and die in the high place. And of Francis, she says, "Let him be; he's accepted his lot in life."
3: And oh, then that back made in sad,
0: ch- <laughs> I know. And then back in chapter four, Francis says, "Of Virgil, I envy his ability to go places. Right. The right. farthest I've ever been is El Triunfo. That's it. He's traveled a bit." Not for long. He's always quick to return, but it's a respite. And it made me wonder whether they actually can't survive for long away mm. from the house or whether the house exacts some kind of revenge for them being away. Did you guys have any thoughts on that? Did anything pop up for you when all this talk was going on of like Francis and Florence being tied to the house? Mm. Not anything deeper than it's something
1: about how their souls are trapped there hmm. because of something familial that we still can't really put our finger on. Yeah. But I think it's more so that, like, their souls are trapped. And, and you know, they, they've said several times in the book that once you're, like, at high place, you can't leave, which is why right. I'm, I'm really curious to see what happens with Noemi. Like,
0: is she actually right. ever going to leave? Right. And is Catalina ever going to get to leave?
1: I would just like to say... In chapter 11, Oil Lamp was mentioned eight times.
2: <laughs> Just
1: yes, want yes, Oil Emma. Lamps.
0: In oil case lamps. you think I'm oil crazy, lamps. which I think maybe you do. <laughs> this chapter gets crazy. This is the chapter where she sleepwalks. Oh, yeah. And has this mm.
2: horrific dream. Oh, yeah. Right? Uh-huh. The woman with the blurred face. Right. So this is a, the the dream where she dreams about Ruth and Ruth mm-hmm. killing, right? Mm-hmm. But then there's also the next dream that happens right after or while she's sleepwalking that leads us into like this woman with a blurred face, which I kept thinking, like, who is this woman? Yeah. Do you guys have theories behind that?
1: I do, but I feel like I want to come back to that.
2: I agree. <laughs> So Should I give my yeah? What's your theory? I actually think it's Florence, because yeah. now that we're talking oh. about Florence, and we were talking about Florence having like you—you you said that she was a little bit more compassionate that we—that she gives off. It's—it's it's funny because I feel Florence see what she seems to me, and that's why I said that she was very honest when she said that her beauty was a, that Naomi's beauty was a liability, mm-hmm. because I think Florence wants to feed off of devour eat this, eat these nutrients and this beauty to keep herself youthful that Noemi has. Mm. Noemi twice mentions, there's a quote that's um, after, while well, she's doing her investigation and continues like seeking out help from Francis and trying to figure out what's really going on. She goes on to say that uh, Howard reminded her of an insect. Yeah. Then Florence brought to mind an insect, Tivorous plant about to swallow a fly, mm-hmm. but Virgil Doyle, he was a carnivore high up on uh, high up the food chain. Hmm. So there's something about this image of this woman, this blurred face. I believe in this in this uh, dream, she opens her mouth.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it's about for her to
2: say something or for her to actually like maybe devour her eat her like this right. insectivore like a glorious. venus flytrap. right yes. and i don't know immediately i got it just i thought that it might be florence i feel like florence has the, a lot of power in this household so my i think is florence and you guys can tell us later who you guys think it is you
0: know what a venus flytrap looks like <laughs> a clam with teeth so the sleepwalking in this dream to me was really creepy because once again it hinted at the house being a living organism. She talks about right. like the walls almost looking like muscle or like they they're bright red and they're like pulsating and stuff. It's almost like the house has turned into a living being around her in this dream. Yeah. To me, I when I read that, it felt
1: like it was like she was inside of a womb.
2: Huh. Ooh,
1: huh. You know, it's kind of weird but huh. that's super just like creepy. that image of something like beating like yeah. you can feel the yeah. heartbeat yeah
0: and the veins and it's squishy and she does it's
2: talk client. about that
0: that pulsating yeah
2: mm-hmm.
0: well i wanted to ask because at the end towards the end of this dream ruth Leads Noemi into a room where there's this bloated man Mm. who she also describes as pulsating. And Ruth shoots him before she just walks out. And I wondered if you guys had any theories about who that man could be. Yes. And this I can share now. Tell us.
1: I think that the bloated man is Richard. Mainly because the Mm. fact that he is bloated makes like... uh, uh, Maybe actually this isn't like the best <laughs> analogy, because I think that once you die, you bloat anyway. But I was imagining bloated oh, because we know that Richard was found at the bottom of a ravine. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So he had been submerged in water. And that
0: right. that's the image
1: that I had when I saw bloated specifically. Also, because we don't know exactly how Richard died. It said he was found at the bottom of the ravine, but we don't know what happened to him. So I feel like this is a clue maybe that Ruth shot him and then threw him in the ravine. Mm. Interesting. Don't know why.
0: But that was my theory. Do you have a different different take on that? The only thing that I sort of noted, which I think we're going to wrap back to at the end of this, is that the egg-like slimy thing that comes in at the end of that last dream is also yeah. pulsating mhm mhm and this man who gets shot is described as bloated and i could only imagine that that might look like a gray slimy pulsating similar to an egg too so I wondered if there was some kind of a connection between those two things whatever that slimy egg thing is that she gives birth to and this man who gets shot so in chapter 12 I found it really interesting that Noemi hints at this quote unquote Doyle look the mandibular prognathism presumably Mm -hmm. associated With yeah, inbreeding. Ugh. And I thought, is this why Catalina was brought into the family? To bring fresh blood into a troubled, quote
2: unquote, superior line? Right. In this chapter, we also learn about um, El Mal de Ojo, uh, the evil eye, uh-huh. when Marta is talking to, Marta yeah. Duval is talking to yep. Noemi. Yep. And Marta has a lot to say in regards to what's going on, but she also provides Noemi with a bracelet that's mm-hmm. basically against the evil eye or against el mal de ojo. Mm-hmm. Right. So I remember this moment when she gives her this bracelet and right after that, um, Silvia mentions that Noemi gets this rash around her wrist where she had placed that bracelet. Yeah. Like, did you guys think that this was Marta because of Marta's bracelet? Like, why... Why does it happen at this point soon after that she puts this bracelet on that all of a sudden she gets this really awful rash around the wrist?
1: I actually had to go back and reread the beginning of the chapter when I read that because for some reason I I remember clocking something about her left wrist earlier, but I didn't pay it any mind. But after I read this, I went back and I reread the very beginning it says that Noemi wakes up and scratches her left wrist, which was right Mm. after she had just come out of that really scary dream. Mm. So I don't think that it was the bracelet that gave her the rash. I think something already is going on there. I do think the bracelet is um, like bringing up whatever that is. What that is, I have absolutely no idea. I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is... Oh, I hate to say it. It's so eerie. But that thought of like slitting your wrist and like having some kind of line there Mm -hmm. that had healed or that you didn't know about or it happened in your sleep. I don't know. And now it's being agitated. I really don't know how to connect that together, but something's
0: happening with that left wrist yeah the first thing that came to my mind was that possibly in the same way that catalina had that really weird seizure when dr camarillo was was there at the beginning of these chapters possibly in the same way maybe the house has already started to take hold of noemi's person yeah and it's having such an adverse reaction to this my you know this this ojo being placed on her wrist Mm. that it's causing a physical discomfort almost almost to make her take it off or something you know what i mean so that this bracelet loses its power or she's no longer protected by it something like that it feels like the house has maybe already got its claws in her
1: it's like there's evil inside of her already
2: yeah, yeah, and it's exactly.
0: rejecting the good that's yeah, being
1: that yeah that Martha's to trying her. to
2: provide her the with. Help. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, so also in this section in Martha's story, right? She talks about Ruth's love story, which is what used
2: to <laughs> seriously. <fuck. laughs> I had to
0: reread that like four times. Same, I know. same. Fuck. But it seems like this is what eventually drove Ruth to the point of killing herself and members of her family so Ruth fell in love with Benito the nephew of one of her father's mine workers despite the fact that she was actually already engaged to Michael who was her cousin. After Benito mysteriously disappears suspicious since her father didn't approve of Ruth's being with him in the first place Ruth goes on that murderous tear. But it sounds like before Ruth shot everyone, she possibly tried to put them to sleep using what Martha calls a sleeping draft. And of Ruth, Martha says she was clever. She knew many things about plants and medicine. So it could be that she mixed the draft herself. And Mm. I thought, who else do we know like that? Martha. Hmm. Is it possible that Martha is the quote unquote illegitimate daughter of Ruth? And Benito.
2: That's so interesting. Why does
0: she know so much about the family's history? Yeah, she seems to know a lot about the house. They share this connection about knowing how to use plants. It was just something that immediately made me like question. I Hmm. did not even consider that. That's really
1: cool. It might not be anything. Listen, we got to drop these in there when we feel it so that if it happens, we can be like, I told you so. I'm like, I'm a
0: genius. (laughs) (laughs) I've got the smartest clam of them all. (laughs) I'm just going to keep bringing it back. (laughs) Well,
2: I mean, bringing a comment that you brought up last week, Brandy, I'm bringing it back to your clam brilliance. Last week you spoke about or brought up the mist and whether the mist plays some sort of particular role or crucial yeah. role in this novel. Yeah. And in Silvia Moreno Garcia notes that there wasn't a lot of mist the day that Dr. Caramillo comes comes to visit Catalina. I'm bringing you back to the beginning of this episode. Do you guys think this was somehow purposely manipulated so that Julio Caramillo wouldn't see or fear the worst? so that he wouldn't become a captive of this Mm. mist. Um, Later on, Sylvia also mentions that Marta says to Noemi, there's heavy places, places where the air itself is heavy because an evil weighs it down. Yeah. I mean, I wondered if the house
0: doesn't somehow control the mist. It's Mm. conveniently present and absent throughout the book. Uh, like you said, Mariana, like when Dr. Camarillo shows up, the right. mist is nowhere to be found. And weirdly, the family members are nowhere to be found, too. It's almost like the house knows that it There's needs an to outsider. Be, yeah, there's an out. Exactly. There's an outsider in their mist. And that also reminded in me. <laughs> in their mist. In their mist. Pun intended. Pun intended. Oh, yeah. That also reminded me of Catalina's moods and her seizures, because even Noemi noticed how odd it was that Catalina was in good spirits at the beginning of the visit with Dr. Camarillo, reminiscent of her old self. And then she sort of quickly starts to fall apart, maybe when the house wants the visit to end. It seems like when the house becomes uncomfortable with the course of conversation or the questions being asked or whatever... It suddenly decides, no, no, she's going to freak out now. The visit's over. I think there's also something going on with the color red in this section of the book. Yeah, I noticed that too. Between Francis turning a pomegranate color when he's embarrassed to the red cloth he covers the mushrooms with, to the Corazón Lotería card. Yeah, the heart. Mm-hmm. To the pulsing walls of the house mm-hmm. in that dream. To Noemi's mention of matter plants staining mm-hmm. the inner organs of animals bright Ugh. red. I was like, what mm-hmm. the hell? Yeah. yeah. So in the first chapters we read, there was almost no mention of red. I remember us talking about that. It was greens. That. Yeah, it, it was, was all, green. it was red, and was yellows, all greens and yellows, mostly greens. But now it seems like red is freaking everywhere. Everywhere. And something I mentioned last week that we ended up actually having to cut from the episode is that the color red was hugely important in the history of the Aztecs. During the conquest, the Europeans Mm -hmm. were quick to notice the bright red dyes the Aztecs were able to dye cloth with. The Europeans didn't have access to a red dye that was so rich, which is why it caught their eye so quickly. And the Aztecs had procured this color by drying an insect that feeds off of nopal cacti. And of course the Europeans quickly seized on this idea, they stole it, and they began exporting the dyes to Europe for profit. It became the second largest export out of Mexico After silver. Mm -hmm. And we know, of course, that the Doyles have already exploited and taken advantage of this region for its silver. Mm -hmm. So if nothing else, this sudden appearance of the color red served to me as almost a warning call that this, quote unquote, superior race, the Doyles. Right. That ironically, as Noemi pointed out earlier in the book, needs something from the, quote unquote, lesser indigenous cultures here in order to survive they might be about to latch on to the next big thing they're going to appropriate from this land, the next big thing they need to ensure their survival, which is Noemi. Noemi. And as an intelligent, witty, Mm -hmm. beautiful, Mm -hmm. vivacious Mm -hmm. young woman who can hold her own in almost any situation, she's sort of symbolic of the hope and the future of this country and these people as a whole that they are the Doyles are like, I hate to say it, but like, I just feel like they're about to
1: rape this country. Yeah. I feel like you could write a thesis statement on this.
2: I know.
0: <laughs> I know. I feel like it goes really deep. I it feel does. Like, yeah. <laughs> I feel like this writer has really done her homework. And I have to say, I feel like she's such a good writer that I really trust that, yeah. the
1: good. <laughs> that the ending will be good. That the be so good. <laughs> that we won't be
0: blue balls. Yeah. Right? better uh,
1: fucking not be I feel like Sylvia. I'm along
0: for the ride and I don't have to worry. So at the beginning of chapter
1: 13 is when we encounter, I'm pretty sure it's right at the top, right? When we see Noemi yeah. and Catalina together in a peaceful, amicable Yeah.
0: Uh, it seems like she's having a nice day. Yeah,
1: seems fine. Yeah. Until she takes the tincture oh. from Martha. Damn it. And I know Martha's instructions did say she should really only have one. A second really won't hurt her. Tablespoon. Yeah. Right. A, Maybe. She should only have one tablespoon. A second wouldn't hurt her. But And sh- uh, Catalina takes four tablespoons. And I was like, oh, boo. Oh.
2: Here we go. And then it seemed
1: like right away, all of a sudden she has this terrifying seizure. yeah. And so then we find out that it was an opium tincture. And at first I was like, I don't know. Like, do I trust that? Are they lying? Is that really what it is? Are they like deciding that they know what was inside of it? But then I looked up and opium is actually really, really addictive. So it could yeah. make sense. And opium mm. helps you sleep. Mm. So right. it could make sense that there is a lot of opium in it. And that's why Catalina was craving this tincture so badly because it is right. so addictive. I just didn't she was realize that it could mm-hmm. give you those, uh, have the properties to make you epileptic. I know. But I'm curious about that. Like what else was in there other than opium maybe?
0: Well, I wondered if anything that too. And I wondered whether someone could have slipped something into the tincture to make her sick, to huh. drive a wedge between her and right. Catalina And And also, and yeah, right. And also to put Noemi in her place for having been responsible for having given Catalina the tincture to begin with. Mm
3: -hmm. I mean, it
0: would certainly make Noemi more likely to go along with things if she felt that she'd potentially really hurt Catalina, thus kind of getting her out of the way for the family and also giving them the power to exert some form of control over her because now she kind of is obligated to do what they say because she's already hurt her own cousin. But they didn't know that she had the tincture. That was a surprise. That was but a secret. But did they?
1: That's I don't a think thing. Think so,
0: how could they have known? Francis. You think Francis knows? Francis has been dropping her. He's the one who's been taking her.
2: I think Francis could know. And then, according to Virgil, when Noemi and Virgil are fighting over uh, Noemi's responsibility over what has happened to Catalina, he goes on to say, we know everything that goes on in this house. Right. Right. He does say that. So it's like, don't mess with us because if you say that you can pull something off, you can't because we know what's going on in this house. He's very blatant about that. Right. He does say that. I had forgotten that. Yeah. Right. I did. I did wonder,
0: especially when, like, I know that in this section, Noemi had put the spoon in Catalina's mouth because she had heard that seizures, you know, people can swallow their, tongues which or bite true, their tongue. Which is true, actually. Yeah. Yes. Which is true. But then the doctor makes her feel like an idiot, idiot. for having mm. done that, which I was yeah, like, but why are the they doctor, working? Because that is what you should do. Right. But I thought, why are they working so hard to make Noemi feel so small? over this incident it's almost like A it power was pre trip. yeah it's almost like it was pre-planned or like they're taking advantage of this moment to really rein her in mm. and gain some control over her mm. that they haven't had before
1: and alternatively to that i was really i keep wondering why virgil seems so concerned about catalina because i don't actually believe that he really loves her or has this deep care or concern but he comes off as like oh my god my wife she almost died and it's like would you really care like
0: why is everyone so worried of losing her i mean again we've been theorizing about this sorry no i was just saying i definitely have a sense there's something else it's not like you're saying it's not love it's not he's not worried about his wife right
1: but it did make me think back to Chapter 9, I think, it did make me think back to an earlier part of the book where Noemi is remembering that Catalina, there was someone else, I think, that wanted to be with her, like a suitor, or it might have been a boyfriend of hers. And she was like, no, I don't want to be with him because um, he doesn't really love me or there's no romance there. Uh, and so yep, she yep. she is a romantic. And so right. there must have been something with Virgil to get her to marry him final chapter yeah
2: final ah! chapter i i i loved a quote that um that i just wanted to mention to both of you which i think will spark a conversation that silvia moreno garcía says in a sense all dreams foretell ev- events in a mm. sense all dreams foretell mm. events but some more clearly than others yeah so speaking of all these dreams and what they could foreshadow. Or are they no, memories from the past? I still have been fucked
1: by a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> not yet.
0: Get not yet. Exactly. Yeah. Well, like off of that quote, Mariana, the quote that I loved from this section was, she says, and dreams about ghosts inform people about happenings among the dead. Mm. And it does seem like Noemi seems to be receiving memories from ghosts. But what I love about the quote that you brought up is that it says dreams foretell mm-hmm. events, which made me wonder, is she remembering things that happened in the past or right. is she seeing what's, what's coming about in her to future? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a very mm-hmm. creepy
1: it thing is. going on there. Very much so. After I read this bit about what was on Agnes Doyle's epitaph, it, ju- it says mother underneath, but she makes yeah. a point to wonder why it said mother, if the kids were born from the second marriage. Right. So then i went on this whole spiral of Ooh. maybe she's she birthed the kids and died in childbirth, either naturally or unnaturally. Right. And then everyone said that the kids were from the second wife. Mm. Which rewind brings me back to answer your question mariana about oh. who i think that was your question right yeah yeah,
0: yeah. about who the golden woman to answer is. your question about who the
1: woman with the blurred face is right right writes, right, right i i after reading this thought that that was agnes because
2: uh-huh.
1: in this whole dream where agnes is giving birth to this creepy slimy tumor like oh, yeah egg shaped thing Right. it says that she Ugh. opened her face with this big scream because she was in so much pain of the childbirth which reminded right. me of that same face that she makes Opens in up. the dream yeah. so I thought that that right. was but now that we're talking about this whole dreams and foretelling now I'm like I don't
0: know I'm I questioning know. Could everything could it be Noemi or could it be Catalina that, right. that's actually in that moment of birthing right. the egg or whatever it is Oy. If it's foretelling a future event. Caramba.
3: <laughs> yeah. Ew.
0: But I also wondered in this moment, like, who is the little girl, the little girl. who yeah. kills the woman? Because at first I was like, that's got to be Florence. But the timeline doesn't work
2: because Florence wouldn't have been born yet. Right? And the thing is, too, that the little girl is blonde and weren't Agnes and Alice both blonde? That's true. That's Wait, I mean, I, I, maybe that's far-fetched, but they were both blonde and she was wearing a braid, which I feel like that was mentioned with one of them, the way that they looked in the oil painting. I don't know. But they oh. were pretty close in age, weren't mm-hmm. they,
0: Agnes and Alice? So it yeah. couldn't have so been that's one what or the other, but it could have been like some other female who was giving birth while Alice and Agnes were still
2: young, I guess? That's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Yeah. Like one of them with another female be giving birth. Yeah.
0: I just had I don't huge know. questions. My, I feel like the biggest question mark I had about this section and the biggest point of empathy that I felt in this section was for that little girl who seems to feel it's her duty to, kill her. to go and kill this woman who's to just... suffocate her. To suffocate her, especially when she has just given birth to something that it seems like everyone else is feeding off of. What is what is the male in that dream say? He says like death. Oh yeah, overcome. Again. Oh yeah, yeah. Death, death, death overcome. overcome. Yeah. yeah. As they're like feeding off of the energy or whatever it, it is, that she's just birthed. and then they also seem to feed off of her as she's right. dying or something. Right. Off of That energy. Yeah. This, that gold, whatever yeah, dust. Gold shimmer. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Did either of you? think that that thing that she birthed was like a snake egg i did not but now that. that you say that that now makes that you perfect say sense that. yeah just it's this it's the right shape yes. and it's gooey it's got those veins yeah got, yeah, yeah that membrane yeah. yeah
0: that's interesting holy shit do you I think it's a snake in there? Do Maybe. you think it's a human? Do you think it's anything? Is it just some kind of energy they feed off of? Do we have any thoughts about what it is? <laughs> the thing in the egg. Could no. it be Howard? <laughs> oh. Could it be Howard? I have no idea. I know. Could I have no Howard? idea either. I had yeah. I that dream was hugely disturbing.
2: Well, should I do it? The final question. Have you guys ever sleepwalked or done something extremely weird (laughs) while sleeping that only your spouse would know? I've never, I i don't think I've ever
0: really done anything that only Jason would know about. I do, there is a history of sleepwalking in my family, actually. I have an aunt Ooh. on my father's side who's no longer with us, but she used to sleepwalk drastically and she would like try to get out of the house You're and stuff me. when she would sleepwalk. And when I was a little kid, I used to freak my family out because it mostly would happen when I was sick, but I kind of sleep with my eyes open. And when I'm sick, it's more pronounced that they'll just kind of be a little bit more open. And there was one time when my oh. mom was walking through our bedroom to go to the bathroom. Shibley and I shared a bedroom at this time. And my mom was walking through to go to the bathroom and she said, I just sat up. She said, it looks like something out of a horror film. Cause I just, with my back straight, <gasps> just sat up Oh. And she said I had something in my hand, and I held it out to her, and I said, she said it was in a creepy voice. She said, I just said, Mom, (gasps) here. And I tried to hand her whatever was in my hand, but it was nothing. And then I just laid back down and went to sleep. Yo, that
1: is really freaky. My brother did something like that. What? There was was nothing. He didn't have anything in his hand. Oh, that's so weird. That's like extra creepy, but... Sam, my brother used to sleepwalk a lot, and one night he fell asleep on the couch in the family room, and he sat up and looked at me with these like nope. demon oh eyes. Nope. You guys are nope. freaking nope. Me, me out right the now. Shit! No. Stop out of me. it.
2: Stop. And he just went back to
1: bed. <laughs> he didn't say anything to you. No, he just looked at me with these like white eyes. Oh, my God. And then went back to bed.
2: Okay. If I was either in your (gasps) presence, Brandy, or in Sam's presence, I would have, like, freaked the fuck out and would have run out of the house. I was like,
1: Mom. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck, man. Wow. That's insane. I don't sleepwalk, but I do talk in my sleep a lot. (laughs) And I asked Ricardo if he could remember anything that I have said. And he said no, but it happens almost nightly. (gasps) Yeah.
2: Almost nightly.
1: It's sad, isn't
0: it? I'm a troubled sleeper. Wow. <laughs> I actually yeah. do the same. Jason says I mumble in my sleep and he says I'll say words that are like clear audible words, but
2: they don't make any sense together. Yeah. Like it's yeah. not a real sentence. That's so interesting because I don't and Andrew does. <laughs> and I wake up all the time to him like mumbling and saying gibberish. <gasps> and then every now and again, I get like a word in like, yeah, football. <laughs> It's a lot of like, work. Oh, his poor brain? So he, he's like, deal. Like, there's a lot of that going on, and then there's a lot of gibberish that happens after that or before. It's the oh, creepiest his brain thing, just though. Can't turn oh, the, yeah, his brain doesn't turn oh, off. So I guess God. I, you guys are on the same boat. I only just snore in my sleep just a little bit, but my snores are like uh, <sighs> a. <laughs> it's not even like an like inhale. Fart. It's like the exhale is like a little like. That's it. I don't do anything else in my sleep. Sorry, I'm boring. Have you guys ever wet the bed as an adult? Wait,
1: what? What? Have you ever wet the bed as an adult? No, No. have you? You've never peed in your sleep?
0: (gasps) No. Come on. Wait, but Emma, so you clearly have wet the bed.
1: Yeah. Yes, several. I mean, wet the bed is a large statement, but I have peed myself. How do you know when you're having a dream that you like really have to pee? Oh my god. Like sometimes
0: god. you just don't wake up and you just pee a little bit. That's never happened to me. I always Are wake you up sure? And then I have to go pee at like one o'clock in the morning. I mean I always I do the old lady pee at like two AM. So do I, I have to <laughs> wake up and go pee? I'm the same. It sucks. Yeah. Well, well, at least well, you make sorry, it to the Emma. toilet. Sorry, Emma, you're alone there. Have
1: you done it? Have you done it with Ricardo in the bed? I don't wet the bed. I like pee a little bit in my underwear, like a couple droplets, but enough to wake me up. If it's a couple of droplets, how do you know? Yeah. I. It's enough that it wakes me up. Okay, oh. but it's not like on the sheets.
0: It's not like a stream. Okay, of pee. so you don't it's really like wet the bed. I wet my pajama pants, okay. Do <laughs> so you like have to change your underwear? It's like bad enough that you have to change your underwear. You should I wear change a pad my underwear, to yes. <laughs> or
2: do depends.
3: What it. Depends
2: Pam- Get
0: some depends.
3: depends. <laughs> <laughs> I'm get so bad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well then. Thank you all so much for listening. <laughs> <Today>. <laughs> really wonderful content. Big thank you to Jimmy Fontenez and MediaRite Productions, as
2: well as Text Me Records for our music. Woo-woo. So, guys, guess what? 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 We received another fabulous review this week. woo yes. woo, woo. Yes. yes. Thank you, Adrian Orozco. You are Aww. phenomenal. Yes. Woo, woo. Thanks, Adrian. Wait, ladies and gents, reach out to us, subscribe, or just review us. We want to hear from you. We want to know what you think. Join us, will ya? We don't bite. Yeah, we do. Well, at least not like the Doyles do. They, or, do they? <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, though, keep checking us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Yeah, wherever you yeah. listen.
0: Come
1: on. For next week's episode, we'll be reading chapters 15 through 21. Let's get 15 it. to the end of 21. Woo. And I hope by now you're following us on Instagram. But if you're not... Head to at Are These Books Drunk to keep up with next week's cocktail pairing so that you can read along and sip along with us. Because it's, it's always, always, always happy hour, hour
0: here. Yeah. <laughs> oh,
1: wow. <laughs>
2: yeah, that
0: was a good one. <laughs> <Yeah>. Ciao, chicas. <laughs>
2: Bye.